morning again, First Baptist. Uh, if you would, take your Bible and turn to Acts, Acts chapter 10. We're going to continue to look at the book of Acts a chapter at a time. Zach led us through Acts chapter 9 last week, giving emphasis to Ananias and the role that he played in the story of Saul coming to faith in Christ. And now we get into chapter 10, and we do a little bit more with Peter this week. And then as we move further into the fall, we'll continue to study about how Saul becomes known as Paul and begins to move on these missionary journeys. And so this morning, though, we'll be in in Acts chapter 10. I want to prepare you a little bit as we move into, into the fall. There are a lot of things that are about to begin happening in August, especially in moving into September. First things first, just out of curiosity, is there anybody left in here right now who is in third, going into third through fifth grade? Anybody going to be third through fifth grade when, okay, so we do have some third. A lot of our third through fifth graders will try to do a covert sneak maneuver to uh, to children's church. I don't know if it's my preaching or what it is, but uh, a lot of them love to go to children's church. Next week, we are going to start something new here at First Baptist. We are going to begin offering from time to time. We're going to give this a shot. We're going to begin offering a third through fifth grade children's church opportunity. And so if you are in third through fifth grade during this preaching time, you're going to have a chance to go and be a part of a service where you will hear about God's word. This isn't going to color a coloring sheet. This isn't going to stack blocks. This is going to grow in your faith in Jesus and to learn more about the Bible. And so that's going to become an option next week. And you're going to get a meet up in the youth room where the youth meet, the 6th through 12th graders. Now, I know what you might be thinking. When I was 3 years old, we had to sit through church the whole time. We didn't have children's church growing up. And especially when I was in fifth grade. And I hear you on that. I sat in church the whole time from the time that I was little bitty. And so I, I know I know that feeling and I understand that. At the same time, a lot of our kids who are third through fifth grade, this is a time that they are able to be here at church. This is a time that they're able to hear about God's word. And we want to do everything that we can to invest in them. And so if you're in third through fifth grade or you know a third through fifth grader and you start back to school this week, this is a chance to invite them to come to church and to be a part of something that's going to be really fun and also something that's going to allow you to grow in, in your faith. And so I want you to know about that. That also means that we're going to need some more adults to be able to minister during that time. Now, third through fifth graders don't require quite as much attention as a toddler. It's kind of close, but uh, not quite as much attention. And so we won't need as many adults in there, but... We are going to need some adults, and many of you have talked about wanting to work with our children and minister to them, and this will be another opportunity uh, to do that on Sunday mornings. You won't be in there every Sunday morning, just once a month, um, being able to do that ministry. The other thing that will happen next week is what we call Promotion Sunday, where we begin, if kids are moving into a new Sunday school class, they'll do that next week, and so it's a great chance to get started back with Sunday school. If you are a man here this morning and you're not involved in the Sunday school class, we're going to have a new Sunday school class for men that begins next week. We need to be a part of a group where we're studying God's Word. It's good to study God's Word in this type of a setting, 
but we don't get the interaction. We're not able to ask the questions. We're not able to grow in the same way as if you're a part of a class. And so if you're not a part of a Sunday school class, next week is a great way to get involved. Um, if you're an adult, it's a little harder to promote to another class. One of our adults told me that if they promoted to another class, it would be heaven. They were out of classes to promote to, so they couldn't go up any higher. They had reached the highest adult Sunday school. And so you may not go to a new Sunday school class next week, but know that the opportunity is, is out there. And you can see in your bullets and all the other things happening in, in August and September. There's men's ministry, women's ministry. Next week, we're going to do an educator appreciation and prayer service. If you work in a local school, next week is a very easy um, and very good opportunity to invite your coworkers to come to church. It will be an opportunity for them just to be prayed over, for you to be prayed over as you start the school year, as you get started with a new class, as you get started maybe in a new school teaching. Next week, we're going to take time and pray for those who are involved in our education system. Many of you are starting school this week, so know that that's coming up uh, next Sunday, and, and use that as a chance to invite your coworkers to come and be involved in, in what's going on. All right, let's look at... Acts chapter 10, and the story of, of Cornelius and Peter and, and what's happening here. We're going to start reading in verse 1 of Acts chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had ha happened and sent them to Joppa. Now verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Peter struggles with things happening three times. Remember, he denied the Lord three times, and this time he needed three times with the vision. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, there are three men looking for you. Get up. And go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Now, the next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Now, verse 27, Peter begins to talk to them. Let's skip over just for a moment to verse 30. Cornelius answered after Peter tells him that he's come because the angel. Cornelius answered in verse 30. Four days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. So here's what happens. In verse 34, Peter begins to, begins to speak. I now realize, and this is the big statement for this chapter, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. And so Peter continues to speak to them, and down in 44, look what happens. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking and praising God. Then Peter said, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, and they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. God, we thank you for your word. God, we need the opportunity to come together with other believers to read your word, to say together that we are not coming to get good advice. We are not coming to hear any message from a person. We are not coming to find more activities to be involved in. God, we are coming because we need to hear from you by the power of your Spirit, God, so that our lives will be changed, so that we will be transformed. Father, and I pray that you would do that work in us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My prayer for you this morning, my prayer for me this morning, just to let you know where we're going, is that you will be converted. That you will be converted. Now, you might say, well, that's great, but, but I've been a Christian for 50 years now. What do you mean that you want me to be converted? We're going to see in this passage that there are multiple ways that God sometimes brings conversion in our lives, brings change in our lives. As we encounter God's Word, we are always asking, God, how do I need to change? What conversion, what change do you want to bring in my life? 
So what's happening here in Acts chapter 10? We go back to verse 1. Let's go back and make sure we know kind of what's going on here with Acts 10. The gospel in the book of Acts, the good news about Jesus has been spreading out. It's been going from Jerusalem, which is a city, into the regions of Judea and Samaria, and then finally it's going to go to the ends of the earth. Last week we learned about a man named Saul who was converted, and in the process of him coming to faith in Jesus, something else happened to Saul. The Lord told Saul, you are also going to be my messenger. You're going to be a missionary to take the message about Jesus to the Gentiles. And I know that that can seem like a minor point, but we have to understand how huge this was because remember that Christianity, this message about Jesus, began as a Jewish movement. It began in Jerusalem with Jewish people. Jesus was a Jew. He grew up in that heritage. Paul grew up in a Jewish heritage. And so it began in this Jewish context. But the gospel begins to move outside. And you say, well, that's no big deal. It moved from Jews to Gentiles. Except that Jews and Gentiles, they were worse at getting along than Auburn and Alabama. They, they did not get along. There was no interaction whatsoever. I was just racking my brain for the right comparison there, and I, none of the good ones were coming to mind. And so understand that there was no interaction that was happening here, especially the type of interaction that would have said, we're going to meet together. We're going to gather together for worship. We're going to gather together to eat. The Jews traced their lineage back to Abraham, and part of that lineage were food laws. We only eat these type of foods, and we only eat with these types of people, and we only gather in these types of places. And so there was this desire to remain clean, and that meant no interaction with Gentiles, with people who eat these other types of food. And one of the things that we see happening here is that Caesarea is the place where this story happens. It's the place where the story begins. Caesarea was a place with a mixed Jew and Gentile population. And so when it says that it's happening at Caesarea in verse 1, Luke is already telling us, I'm going to tell you a story about how Jews and Gentiles have to interact. And then it mentions a man named Cornelius who was a centurion. This means that he was part of the Roman army. He was a Gentile, not a Jew. But what we find out about Cornelius is even though he's not a Jew, even though he's not a part of God's people, Notice in verse 2, it says, He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. When it says that they were God-fearing, what, what that means is, even though they were not Jews by their, their ethnic background or by their family background, they were involved in keeping God's laws. They were involved in trying to be a part of giving to the poor. They were religious people. So this is not about how the gospel is going to go to a pagan far away from God. This is simply how the gospel is going to go to someone who was not ethnically part of God's people, but who was a devout, God-fearing man. And so it says in here that he was a God-fearer. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. As this situation is happening... Peter simultaneously has a vision in which the sheet comes down from heaven, and in this sheet are all these different types of animals. And what he sees in this sheet are the animals that were unclean for a Jew to eat. I was talking to Bennett, our, our five-year-old son, 
I was talking to him last night about this story, and he was trying to decide what type of animals might have been in that sheet that the Jews weren't allowed to eat. And so I said things like pigs were in there. And he had a five-year-old moment where he realized that means no bacon. You, and, and I'm with him. I mean, no bacon. Like, how do you even operate? How do you function with, without bacon? And, and so he starts to decide that, you know, there are, there are pigs and cows and there are giraffes maybe. And what does giraffe meat taste like? And I told him I didn't know. I was sorry. I didn't know what giraffe meat tasted like. And so we're going through all these animals. But it's this idea that this was considered off limits. You didn't do this. And so Peter's trying to make sense of why would God give me this vision? And then he begins to realize, as he interacts with Cornelius, that it's not a vision just about what we eat or what we don't eat. It's a vision about who we interact with. It's a vision more than that about what God is doing in the world through Jesus. That this message of salvation is a message for the whole world. And so what we see happening in Acts chapter 10 are actually two conversions taking place. The first conversion is the conversion of a religious man. It is the religious conversion of someone who was a Gentile, who was separated from God's people ethnically, but who comes to faith in Jesus here. Now, we live in a country that even though it identifies itself with a Judeo-Christian background, we live in a country that is becoming what we might even call post-Christian. Less and less people are identifying themselves just as Christians. And in fact, it's not only becoming post-Christian, it's frankly becoming anti-Christian in a lot of ways. And so we live in this type of a climate, but we also live in the South. And so there are still people that have a religious orientation a spiritual orientation, but they're not followers of Jesus. And this story is such an important reminder that you can be like Cornelius. Look back at chapter er, chapter 10, verse 2. He and his family were devout, and they were God-fearing. They gave generously to those in need, and it even says that they prayed to God regularly. They did the things that look like the things religious people should do. But what we find at the end of the story is there is still a conversion that had to happen for Cornelius and his family. And that conversion was that they had to come to see Jesus as the Messiah. To see Jesus as the one who would rescue them from their sins, who would transform their lives. And many of you probably have a story, or know of stories, of people who grow up very religious doing the type of things that Cornelius did in verse 2. God-fearing, give to those in need, pray, and yet do all those things and miss the good news of Jesus Christ. You may have grown up in a church where you went through the religious rituals, where you put money in the offering plate, where you even prayed regularly, but you had never heard the transforming power of the gospel. That it's not about doing these things that makes me right with God. That it's about what he has done for me through Jesus. That Jesus is his son sent to pay the price for our sins, to die in our place, and then rise again from the grave so that we would have new life, so that we would have forgiveness. 
And one of the most powerful things that we will ever see is when a religious person is converted and becomes a transformed person. Where someone who has always followed the religious traditions finally encounters the good news of Jesus Christ and their heart is changed. And they've always sang these songs in church, they've always prayed these prayers, they've always done these things, but now they do them in a new way and for a new reason because God has transformed their life through Jesus. And if you are here this morning, know that our church does not exist to make religious people. We can try all we want to make religious people, and that is not why we are here. We are here to point people toward Jesus, because He is the one who brings transformation. He is the one who brings salvation, and that is going to be our focus. And if you're here and you've been religious all your life, you've given to those in need, you've prayed, you've gone to church, you've feared God, but you've never encountered the good news of Jesus Christ, there's a conversion that has to happen in order to find that life. And in the process of this conversion happening, we actually see a second conversion in the story. So Cornelius and his family are converted from religious people into transformed people, but Peter also has a worldview conversion. Because Peter has always seen Gentiles in one way, as those who are somehow excluded or separated or unclean from God's people. And now God is telling him that this message of salvation is supposed to go to them. And Peter cannot fathom this. And guess what? We're not too far removed from a place in America where something very similar to this would have happened where someone who was of a different skin color, someone who was black, was somehow excluded from our places of worship. Almost this idea of unclean, separated, can't be apart, and now we're saying, no, the good news of Jesus Christ reaches to all people, and we are called to worship Him together. That's the type of separation that was involved in Peter's thinking. And so because God needed to get his attention and let him know This message of salvation is going to all people. Peter has to undergo a worldview conversion. He has to see people. He has to see the world in a different way. And guess what? Many of us here this morning need a worldview conversion. Because whether we know it or not, we look out at the world and there are certain people that we think unclean. They could not come and worship with us. Or how could they ever come and be a part of God's people? How could that ever happen? And sometimes God will do something in our lives where he will take us to a place. This is why mission trips are so powerful. Because God takes us into a new situation and forces us to see new people and new places doing new things. And we see God reaching out there. And then we come back to our own places and we think if God is doing that over there, Oh my goodness, what does he want to do here? And so sometimes God will take us out to new places because he needs to open our eyes. He needs to change the way that we see the world so that we'll be transformed back home. And sometimes, it's kind of the chicken and the egg sort of thing, sometimes God does a work in our lives right where we are, and he changes the way that we see people around us, and because of that we find ourselves going out to speak the message. Because what we find in this story and what we find throughout the scriptures 
is that one of the things that makes the gospel so offensive to people is not who it leaves out, but who it includes. Sometimes Christianity is spoken down on because it's seen as an exclusive religion. You're excluding all of these people because they don't believe in Jesus. But what really makes Christianity try that again. What really makes Christianity troubling to people and offensive to people is who it includes. That no matter your background, that no matter what you've done in life, that no matter what family you come from, that no matter your situation, you are able to be made right with God through Jesus. And for people who have grown up in church, and especially people who are religious, religious, that can make them uncomfortable. The idea that God would include those people. Or the idea that God would accept those people over there through Jesus Christ. You heard earlier in the, in the text that Peter was at a place called Joppa. Well, in the Old Testament, there was another guy that spent some time at a place called Joppa. And he had a situation that was very similar to Peter's. There was a guy named Jonah. Jonah was called by God to go to a place called Nineveh and preach a message of repentance and hope and salvation. And guess what Jonah said? Not going there. So he takes off on a ship, and, and you know how that goes for him. There's a huge storm that comes up, and, and he's thrown overboard. He gets a little bit of time out with the whale, and so he takes some time out with the whale, and he gets right with God, and the whale spits him out. He's back on dry land, the big fish. And he goes to Nineveh, and he preaches to the people, and all of our children's Bible stories end where? Right there. <laughs> Jonah preaches to the people, and they repent and turn to God. We always forget chapter 4 of Jonah. Do you know how Jonah felt about those people repenting? He was frustrated. Not just frustrated, he was angry. He was angry because people like that, people like the Ninevites, God, why would you have compassion? Why would you have mercy? Why would you show salvation to those people? And so God takes Jonah out under a weed and teaches him a lesson about compassion and about mercy. It makes it very clear that the message of salvation will go to all people, no matter their background, no matter what they've done, no matter what they've encountered. And so this city of Joppa has two men, a man named Jonah who refused to go and preach this message, and when he did go, he didn't like what happened, and a man named Peter who at first didn't want to go and speak to Cornelius because of the separation, because of this Jew and Gentile separation. But when he went, he saw God transform that man's life. He saw God transform that family. And we are reminded that everyone who turns to God and finds salvation does it on the same terms. We all turn, and we all found, find salvation because of Jesus Christ. I love the statement that says that the ground is equal at the foot of the cross. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. No one comes to the cross and finds salvation, but they're at a higher level than someone else. Everybody comes with the same brokenness, with the same sin, with the same need for salvation, and they find the, find the same Savior waiting on them. And when God does that work in people's lives, he draws us into a community of faith. 
that is diverse, that includes Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, old and young, white and black, and people from every nation and tribe and tongue are drawn together into this community where we all come on the same terms because of Jesus Christ. Back in 2004, the First Baptist Church in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, Broken Arrow is a, a nice suburb in the Tulsa area in the northeast part of Oklahoma. First Baptist Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, had just completed a, a really nice building project. They built a multi-purpose center, a family center, a worship center. They'd done all that. Not long after this uh, building project was completed, a man named George Aguilar and some of his friends broke into the church, vandalized the property, stole a lot of things from the church, caused all this trouble, caused about $25,000 in damage there at the First Baptist Church. And they actually broke into 10 other churches around the Tulsa area and caused upwards of a quarter of a million dollars of damage in these, in these different churches. And the pastor there at First Baptist Broken Arrow, a man named Nick Garland, talks about how angry he was. And all he cared about is that these men were caught and that they were punished. And guess what? They were caught. And they were punished. And they were sent to jail. And while in jail, George wrote a letter to the churches that he had broken into and vandalized, expressing his regret, expressing how sorry he was, asking for their forgiveness. And Pastor Garland was so shamed by his own response to the situation, how he had responded in anger and hatred, not caring about the men who had done these sort of things. And so through a police officer in the church, he was able to go to the jail and talk with George. And in the process of talking to him about forgiveness and about the message of the gospel, George gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he was saved there in that interaction in the jail. When he was released from jail, Someone in the church took him in, gave him a job. He was able to get back on his feet. But one thing about George is that he was from El Salvador. And so when the customs officials found out what had happened, they appreciated the fact that, you know, he was trying to get his life together, but he was exported, sent back, deported, sent back to uh, El Salvador. And so George talks about how he just felt like his life was falling apart. Here he was trying to go in the right direction. God was doing this work in his life, and now he was sent back to El Salvador. But when he got back to El Salvador, God opened a door for him to begin to work in a local church to the point that he was able to go out and be involved in a new church that was planted. And this church plant needed a pastor. And so George thought, maybe that's me. Maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. And so he began to pastor this little church in El Salvador. So a couple of years ago, the pastors from Broken Arrow in Oklahoma flew down to El Salvador, and they were a part of the ordination service for George to become an ordained minister of the gospel, and they are supporting his church plant there. What we see in that story is a powerful example of here is someone who has all the makings of a person that we would say, how could God ever work in their life? Not in the country, legally, breaking into churches, involved in the wrong crowd, doing all of the wrong things. And here's a pastor of a First Baptist Church looking at him and saying, 
I hope he gets what he deserves. And then God changes the way that he views that man. And he begins to view him with the eyes of Christ. He begins to view him with compassion. And God takes that situation and he transformed not only George's life, but he transformed that pastor's life. And not just the pastor's life, but the church's life. That is the work that God wants to do in our lives. We have a controversial message. We have a message that is offensive to people. But what makes it truly controversial and what makes it truly offensive is not who it excludes, but who it includes. The fact that Jesus Christ died so that salvation would be available to all people. Let's not be a church where religious people find a nice place to do their thing. But let's be a place where God is constantly transforming all of our hearts and all of our lives so that we will know Him more clearly and so that we will worship Him more fully. I'm going to pray for us here as we end our service. After we do this, Corey's going to come back up and lead us in a song. If God is working in your heart, if you are a religious person needing to encounter the salvation of Jesus Christ, I want to pray for you. If you're a Christian and you said, I have had the wrong view of the world around me. I know that there are people that I have been excluding or saying, God, you would never work in their lives. And you need to repent. Use this time to do that. If God's calling you to be a part of, of this church, to join in membership, we'll have a chance to do that as well. However God is working in your life, respond to him right now.